This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. Pat Sweet here, and welcome to episode 27 of the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineers thrive. Today, I speak with Vivian Shen, CEO and co-founder of Juni Learning, on the importance of mission, why she left her dream job at a big firm, and how to build a high-performing remote technical team. Hello, everybody. Pat Sweet here, all the way from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Very, very happy to be here with you for the 27th It's hard to imagine that, the 27th episode of the Engineering Leadership Podcast. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Nova Scotia. I hope wherever you are in the world that you are doing well, you're staying safe. Uh, We've got a great, great, great show here for you today. I had an absolute blast chatting with Vivian. Uh, But just before we get to that interview, a few things that I wanted to mention. One, Michael Tranmer, who was my guest on episode 25 here on the podcast, just had a TED Talk that came out. It's fantastic, and I just want to encourage everyone to go check that out. I will put a link in the show notes, engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 27. It really really goes into detail in the story that he told here on the podcast about how he went from basically hitting rock bottom in life to, to really rediscovering himself and finding true happiness. It's a great story, great delivery on the TED stage, highly encouraged. So do check that out in the show notes. And there's something that came out recently in the news that I thought would be interesting to share with you is that there have been major changes announced over at Google with respect to their work from home policies. And it really got me thinking about how far we've come with respect to working from home and what they're doing at Google. They're really Uh, allowing more and more staff to spend more and more time either away from their uh, normal working office, either at home or working at a different Google office. Anyway, all that to say, this world of working from home, I think is here to stay in one form or another. And I'd love to hear from you on on what your work from home situation is, what, what has worked, what hasn't worked, whether you're excited to go back to the office, whether you want to stay working from home forever. Uh, I'd love to. I'd love to pick your brain about that. So, if you've got thoughts, feelings, uh, ideas, I would be thrilled to hear it. Just leave a note in the show notes. You can do that at the bottom of the show notes page, or hit me up on LinkedIn. And again, I'll put a link to my LinkedIn profile on on the show notes. Uh, really, really interesting topic to me. It got me thinking uh, that uh, we, we might we might be able to do some fun stuff with that in a future episode. And the final thing, the final thing I wanted to mention was Clubhouse. So many of you have probably already heard about Clubhouse. It's a a new social media platform. And what's interesting about it is that it's audio only and and it's grown by leaps and bounds over the last year or so, uh, as evidenced by the fact that a lot of the the, the well-established social media platforms have started introducing audio-only components to their platforms. So clearly, (laughs) clearly Clubhouse has a lot of people's attention. I'd like to know, whether or not you would join me on Clubhouse. I've got an invitation. I've yet to do anything with it. I've been toying with it. And here's the thing. I I think it's really interesting. I'd love to do it, but I'm only going to do it if I know for sure I can better serve you through that platform, right? That's that's uh, my, my raison d'etre here is, is to really make sure that whatever I'm doing is serving you. So if that's of interest to you, if you'd like to join me on Clubhouse, I'd, I'd like to hear about it. 
And if I do decide to uh, to sign up, you'll be the first to know. So again, hit me up on LinkedIn or uh, leave a, a message in the show notes. With all that, let's get into my chat with Vivian Shen. One of the hallmarks of a great leader is the ability to draw people together in the name of something greater than themselves. They establish bold missions for their teams and paint a vivid picture of what a better future could look like if they're to succeed in that mission. For Vivian Shen, CEO and co-founder of Juni Learning, that mission is to provide kids with world-class computer science, math, and English education no matter where they live. That mission has carried Juni to incredible heights in the last few years, leading to remarkable growth and substantial investments from well-known investors. Vivian Shen holds a Bachelor's of Computer Science from Stanford and a minor in creative writing. Previously, she was the Director of Product at Operator, a software engineer at Google, and a consultant at McKinsey & Company's Silicon Valley office. She's also a Bay Area native and graduated from Gunn High School in Palo Alto. Here's my conversation with Vivian. Vivian Chen, thank you so much for joining me here on the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks, Pat. I'm really incredibly excited to be here. Uh, you and I both. You and I both. I think this is a really, really cool uh, project that you have here, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to get into the details. There's lots to unpack here. Um, maybe just off the top, could you, could you tell us a little bit about your company, Juni Learning, and, and what it's all about and who it's for? Of course. Uh, so, you know, we founded Juni in 2017, and Juni is a membership-driven learning platform designed specifically to help every student discover and pursue their passions with joy. And so what's really critical for us is that students not only find their path and find what they're really excited about, but also they have the opportunity to really jump in and get get their hands dirty, build projects, uh, meet other students who are also really excited about those passions. And, uh, you know, that's the really the ethos that we have here. Hey, that's that's really cool. And it, it's it strikes me as strikes me as important work, right? Some, something you can really you, you can you can get behind. Where, where does this where does this come from? Where did you get the idea to start this? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of founders that you probably talk to, uh, end up starting the companies that they do because of some deep-seated problem that they faced at some point or another in their life. And Juni is no different. My co-founder and I both had very different uh, learning experiences growing up. I grew up in Palo Alto, which is a notoriously competitive and uh, you know intense school district. Um, the public school system is one of the best in the country. And uh, you know, at the same time, I I I think it was tough to find uh, computer science classes. It was tough to really also get personalized attention. I think, you know, you get it here and there, but for the most part, the classes are really large and, um, you know, you kind of had to find your own way. And so I didn't start coding until college. And that was a huge wake up call for me that, you know, if I had just started earlier, I probably would have been a lot more advanced um, than I was. And my co-founder, on the other hand, um, she also went to quite a competitive school district, but in Boston, in the Boston area. And they, uh, they also didn't offer computer science in her high school either. So she actually went ahead and took a course online. And so she was ahead of her time uh, in that front. But, you know, going into Stanford, she was already kind of ahead a little bit on the, the 
computer science curve. Um, and so she really saw firsthand that value as well of starting early. So that's kind of where we came at it from. Um, you know, if we're able to give students a really personalized experience and Juni is all about providing every student with a mentor. And so that's kind of the, the seed of what we had there. And, you know, we did our tour of duty in a bunch of different Silicon Valley companies. Um, and then we, you know, realized that there was something magical here that we could start and bring this experience to thousands of students around the world. That's great. It's just it's an incredible idea. And and you mentioned your, your tour of the, the Silicon Valley companies. I want to <laughs> come back to that. This is a, a question I'm excited to ask. Of course. But you, met, you mentioned something earlier about there not being computer science courses available to you in Palo Alto, which, which is kind of shocking to me. This, this is the, the tech center of the universe. Right. Folks, yes. folks like myself, I, I live in the far east coast of Canada, which is not exactly renowned, right, <laughs> for, <laughs> for being a tech hub. It, it is changing. It is changing in our own humble way. But it's no Palo Alto. So uh, th- this is kind of a, a surprise to me. Is this is this common throughout the states that, uh, that they really just don't have that kind of that kind of tech infrastructure in public schools? Yeah, um, incredibly common. I mean, I, I so obviously this was a long time ago now as well. And I think the school districts have definitely come a long way since then. But uh, when I was in high school, they essentially only offered the AP level computer science course, which is, is quite daunting if you haven't taken it before. And it's also an elective. So, you know, you're choosing between art studio or another foreign language or computer science. And so um, in high school, I was actually a little bit more of the creative type. So I did advanced sculpture and uh, Spanish literature instead of doing computer science, which, you know, is ironic now. Right, <laughs> the the obvious extent. choice, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think that was the main nuance is that it was kind of a little more off the beaten path. It wasn't something that was a core subject. Um, and they didn't really have an intro level course that was accessible to everybody. Frankly, as well, most of the the folks in the AP computer science course were male. And at the time, you know, it just, it didn't seem like it was going to be a good fit for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was pretty common. I do think there's also a difference, you know, between private schools and public schools as well. Uh, I even though Gunn, which is the high school that I went to, is one of the best in the country, we obviously still didn't have the resources to hire a uh, you know, huge group of computer science instructors. So each of the, the classes was also capped in terms of the number of people who could, who could attend. So, yeah. Make a little more sense of your undergrad. So, so you wrap up high school, you move on to Stanford, and you study computer science and creative writing. Right. And the yes. creative writing at first was the part that threw me off. Turns out that that's the part that makes sense. So, <laughs> so, so uh, first of all, I, I'd like to hear about this combination because it, it, that combination of skills is apparent to me in, in Juni, right? Where you, you're offering both English uh, as well as math and computer science. Um, what informed that decision for you to pursue kind of the, this, this dual hatted, education and and uh, how has that informed the way you you've approached junior and the classes you offer yeah um i mean it's you know i think it's changed the trajectory of my own career and obviously for for Juni as well. Um, when I started college, I actually wanted to double major in political science and history. And obviously that is very different from what I ended up doing. Right. Um, 
And my parents are actually very supportive because my goal at the time was to go clerk for a Supreme Court judge and then go be president someday, uh, which was a very different path than, than yeah, what I ended up yeah, taking. Yeah. Um, and in college, I, I think the, the great thing about Stanford in particular is that you don't actually have to choose your major going in. And so you can have almost the first two years to kind of explore, figure things out. Uh, for engineering majors, you do typically have to figure it out a little bit earlier because the course load is just quite high. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I was able to try actually my freshman year, a grad level poli-sci course, a grad level history course, and then the intro to computer science um, course, which is CS106A, um, quite a famous course. And that was the one that really stuck with me because I think the other ones didn't feel as hands-on. Um, and so I kind of you know, I had a lot of ground to make up. So ended up taking pretty much four computer science courses every quarter at Stanford for the first two years, which was very um, exhausting. And so I, I ended up burning out a little bit on that front after the first two years. And, you know, by my junior year, I was kind of like, I, I want to get back to figuring out what I love to do. You know, I think college traditionally is more for discovery. And I had taken a very utilitarian approach for the first couple of years mm -hmm. and um, kind of went back to taking a bunch of random courses to see what I liked. And I took one beginner creative writing course on a whim and it was just, it was so fun. Like you got to be in this class of about 12 students. Um, you workshopped everything together. It was super collaborative and you just got to write about whatever you wanted, read really great literature, um, like actually Tobias Wolf, who's quite a famous short story writer, was one of our lecturers. Um, and you just don't get that opportunity in a lot of places. So I, I seized the day uh, on that one and ended up uh, studying abroad in Oxford as well to study creative writing there. So kind of just snowballed. And um, it was my senior year was really fun because I got to do a mix of advanced computer science courses and kind of do a lot of user research, uh, build our own prototypes of different apps, and then also do a lot of writing. So it was kind of like the year where I got to do college the way I had thought it would be in movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, I, that, that, I really like that that mental image, right? This this idea that, that you show up to a place like Stanford and and you can explore. And really, yeah. and really give yourself permission to, to try things and see what works. And, and this, this, this tells me a lot about you as the eventual entrepreneur that you became, right? Trying things and seeing what sticks, seeing what works. Um, yeah. Fast forward a little bit, uh, you, you graduate from Stanford and, and you mentioned, you mentioned your, your tour of duty in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Uh, and you ended up both at uh, at Google for a time and and uh, uh, McKinsey as well. What what exactly were you doing at uh, at at Google? Yes, so at Google, I was actually there as an intern. So um, there is no cooler internship to do than one at Google. I still maintain. Uh, maybe things are different now, but at the time, you know, it was it was just the scale, uh, the impact you could feel like you were having, even though you maybe didn't actually push that many lines of code over the summer. Uh, but it was, you know, just the, the way that they made the, the world seem like your oyster when you were there was just incredible. And, um, I, I was lucky enough to intern there, um, on the, the Google ads team actually. And, um, it was the first time that I had worked an engineering job. Uh, mm -hmm. so it was a very different experience because when you're in college, you know, 
doing projects for classes. It's very different, obviously, than sure. actually being being out there in the real world. And so um, that that was an incredible experience. And I came away from it thinking there there was probably going to be something that was a little more suited to my skill set. Um, specifically, I think I I take a lot of I, I get really excited about solving problems for people and communicating with people. And um, I kind of viewed engineering as the foundation with which I could do that, but probably being an engineer wasn't exactly the right job for me. Um, and so that's kind of when I, I started recruiting instead for consulting gigs. And I think that was actually a lot more my speed to a certain extent, because Google is huge. And so the speed at which you can do things is is quite slow. But in consulting, you know, you're on a project for anywhere between one week to 10 weeks. And so if you're not having an impact within the first five days, you're probably behind already. And so right. that kind of velocity was really exciting for me and also the variety of different problems we got to tackle. And so um, that I think just fit my um, working model a lot better. And I ended up deciding to do that full time after graduation. Okay. Okay. No, that that's great. It's it, it's really interesting to me. Your, your story reminds me a little bit. There's a there's an author I really I really like. Her name is Jenny Blake. She's got a great book mm-hmm. called Pivot, and it's all about it's about all about career transitions. And there's a line in this book uh, where she explains her decision to to leave Google. She she had been in Google uh, Human Resources and in personnel development, and she decided she was going to leave and do her own thing. And her friends and family looked at her as if to say, you really think you can do better than Google? Like, like what, what are you doing? hundred yeah. percent. So, so here you are, you, you, you know, you, you're, you're able to put Google on your resume. You're able to put McKinsey on your resume. For many people, this is, this is the pinnacle. There's, there's, there's no getting better than that. So, so what is it about this idea for Junie that, that compelled you to, to chase that? Because a, a lot of people I'm sure would look at you and think, man, you, you had it all. That was, that was it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's a, I think it's a common itch that a lot of people want to scratch. Um, you know, the the thing about McKinsey that was also incredible is that you're working with these organizations that are, uh, they're they're also huge organizations, and it's tough to see change in those in those teams for a long time, um, mostly because of the number of people that need to be coordinated. Uh, the impact on revenue had to just be such a at such a different scale um, in order for you to do something versus with a startup, you know, a single new customer is very exciting when you're going from zero to one customer. Uh, That's incredibly exciting. And so um, I, I had that kind of when I was thinking about velocity, like that was an even faster velocity than than what we had Right, right, Yeah, of course. Um, And so that was a big thing for me. And so I actually went to another startup between uh, McKinsey and, Junie. And that was a ton of fun. Um, just the craziest learning experience as well. I got to uh, launch our product in China and uh, work with a bunch of really creative folks. Um, unfortunately, you know, startup didn't end up uh, working out the way that I wanted to, but it was kind of the springboard for um, for Junie because I, uh, when I was traveling in China, that's kind of where I saw some of the models that worked uh, that we ended up emulating for Junie, like this company called VIP Kid. So there's a reason that everything happens, uh, but it was definitely a little bit unexpected. I think I, 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 when I was in college, I thought I would be a McKinsey for the rest of my life, um, but life happens. Yeah. Yeah, and he, and here we are today. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, from the looks of things, the, the company's gone uh, qu- quite a ways beyond a single customer. <laughs> I, think, I think on your website now, you're saying you've got, you've got 6,000 families that, that are, are, are currently subscribed. I'm sure it's, it's higher than that now. A thousand instructors from all over the United States. Uh, clearly, it's, it's, it's gaining traction. And one of the things that I think is really fascinating about the model is that you're bringing in uh, university-level instructors to teach kids. Uh, am, am I right in understanding you're, you're aiming at kind of eight to 18? That's exactly right. Yeah. And actually the majority of our students are more in the range of, uh, yeah, eight to 15 or so. Um, and the, you know, the, we call it near peer instructors, which is a little bit jargony, but it basically means, you know, it's somebody that the student can look at as almost a peer, um, but somebody that they can emulate and see themselves becoming in just a few years. And so I think that's really the magic of having a university aged instructor because they can ask them incredibly timely questions. Like, what do you do every day in university? Or like, what, you know, where do you live? Like, what is that weird, um, contraction behind you, which is a lofted bunk bed. And a lot of these kids, you know, they, <laughs> they obviously learn about college in movies or their parents might tell them about it, but um, they don't really get that window into what's possible out there until a little bit later. So you either see people who have kind of made it, like they are already an astronaut or they are already doing XYZ, um, but you don't really see people kind of in the sausage making phase as well. And so I think kids really love that, like having somebody who's not quite as old as their parents. And, you know, maybe it's a little more, uh, they're, they're in the same age bracket, so they can have some of the same pop culture references, but at the same time, it's something they can look up to. And that's been incredibly powerful as well. Um, actually, we, I, I don't know if you know this, but we launched a new product uh, just yesterday called Junie Clubs. And it's a place for students to meet each other and also um, other instructors and share their interests and run events together. And it's, been a ton of fun. I think the the cool thing is that a lot of the instructors have the same interests. Like there is a Pokemon club with a college level advisor and then a student leader. And um, that's just very cool to see uh, the kind of energy that they have together and how they're able to create experiences that feed off of that. Um, And, you know, I I haven't seen that with any other program. So it's been really exciting to to watch that grow. Congratulations. That's huge. That's that's big big news (laughs) to to be doing to be doing anything during a pandemic is is a big deal, let alone launching a new product. So that's uh, (laughs) that that's very, very exciting. And it, it occurs to me that creating creating online spaces right now for students that are safe and nurturing, uh, is incredibly important. Uh, I, I've, I, I'm, a, I'm a dad. I've got a, a six-and-a-half-year-old girl who already needs to take an iPad to school, right, so that, so that it minimizes, yeah. you know, handing of, of, of class materials between kids and teachers. And she's gotten very good, um, but, but it terrifies me, right, as, as a yeah. father who's got a little and very curious and very precocious kid about what, where she's going to end up online if I'm not right over her shoulder. So, um, Maybe you could speak to that a little bit. I feel I feel like Judy would have been a good idea anyway, but with the pandemic and forcing kids online to learn, this this has got to be well, a, a, maybe a bit of a blessing and a curse. Like it must have been hard to keep up with all that. To a certain extent, yes. And as you uh, alluded to, kids 
kids find a way like yeah. they are are incredibly good at burrowing their ways into the internet and figuring out what's out there in the world um and so what we wanted to do with junie and junie clubs in, in particular is that we obviously have a really engaged base of students who are all you know excited passionate good people and you know we have this code of conduct for them as well and uh if we can harness that energy to create a community you know, that does good for each other, how, how can we grow that? And how can we also make parents, um, you know, not feel stressed about it? Because I think there's a lot of online experiences for kids that seem innocuous enough and then spiral out of control. Um, and so we're really here to create something that um, encourages students to share the best parts of themselves, you know, what they're learning, what they're excited about, and then also have kind of that moderation piece in there, our instructors, our HQ team as well, um, to monitor. I think on your part about, um, you know, kids trying to learn how to interact on the internet, hmm. the main thing that we've seen success with is not necessarily entirely blocking kids from doing things, but more just trying to help them understand what is safe and what is not and giving them the tools, you know, that classic uh, teach a man to fish uh, versus, right. you know, giving him a fish kind of thing. And um, kids, you know, they, they figure it out quickly. Once they, once they know what the guardrails are, what's a uh, good behavior, what's not, um, that's actually been a lot more productive for us than kind of trying to um, trying to, contain kids into spaces when, when we know that the, the internet is out there. So, um, we've been trying to do more educational programs for kids about online safety, um, how to treat other people online with respect, that kind of thing as well. Right. Right. No, I, I think it's a, 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 the, the timing is brilliant. There, that, that much is for sure. I, I wanted to, to shift gears a little bit and talk about Junie, the, the company, right. Um, of right now, um, I, I assume I assume you've got a lot of folks uh, working remotely. Is that uh, is that the case? And and if so, uh, how is that going? Because I, I think I think <laughs> a lot of us are working remotely all of a sudden, and are are many of us likely managing remote teams as well, which is uh, a remarkable challenge uh, for for me personally. Absolutely, I'm sure I'm sure for most as well. Uh, what well, how how are things going on that front with Junie right now? Yeah, so it's been it's been interesting. I mean, uh, so we're lucky enough that before uh, before COVID, we were actually already a distributed team. So we had our headquarters in San Francisco, which at the time was about ten of us, uh, actually fewer than than ten. But um, and then we had another team that was also about ten or so people remote. Um, and so once once we got the lockdown orders in San Francisco, which was one of the earliest in the country, uh, it was a pretty seamless transition for us to go fully online. And most of our team that was in San Francisco was actually our R&D folks who also already do a lot of things asynchronously or online. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge is that we actually grew the team, you know, around 3x in the in the time frame since wow. uh, COVID, both our remote team and our San Francisco team. And so kind of maintaining the bonds together, maintaining the team culture um, as we scaled, I think was some of the challenge, like things that I had taken for granted that, you know, if we had a team lunch together, 
me and my co-founder being there would kind of set the tone for what kind of communication we had with each other, what kind of mm. um, style we had. But I think we had to accelerate the development of our core values, um, communicate them a lot more consistently. Like I, I read our core values at every all hands every two weeks just to keep reminding people, um, and especially during the interview process and that kind of thing. It's, it's That's the kind of stuff that needs to scale as we're adding people. Um, I am very excited to go back into the office. We'll probably still have that kind of 50% of the team in San Francisco, 50% of the team remote. Um, whenever COVID is done, let's, let's not jinx it, but right. that's, uh, that's the plan. <laughs> wood, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Uh, but I think those kind of culture building things were definitely things that we had to be really thoughtful about when we grew and um, especially because, yeah, the team just grew so much during that time and, and remotely too. Right. So, so you mentioned, um, literally reading out the core values, which I'm sure I'm sure the first couple of times maybe felt a bit strange, but uh, have, have, have people bought into it? Is this is this normal and what's expected at this point? Yes. Um, and I, I think that is that is so critical. Um, I read our mission statement, our vision and our core values every single time. And um, I, I feel like a broken record sometimes, but it's so important because, you know, we'll have a new person at every all hands, sometimes every other all hands mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and every person that you add to the group, um, can really impact it. And so we, we interview along those values. And then we also kind of just hammer them home all the time where we can, cause you can't have an office where they're on the door anymore. Right. So we, we, <laughs> we try to talk about them as often as possible to, to remind folks. And, you know, I, I think they, they ground us too, because, um, it's a lot easier, I think, when everything is remote to be a little more transactional because you're doing everything mm-hmm. in a scheduled Zoom meeting or over Slack. And um, I think when we have opportunities to remind people that, you know, one of our core values is joyful collaboration. And so, you know, if we're not having fun, it's probably not worth doing to to a certain extent, like work you know, work is challenging, but at the same time, we should like the people that we work with and find fun in working together. And so sometimes I have to take a step back and remind people like, hey, it's been a long week. And, you know, maybe we should all just take a breather and play an icebreaker, do something for like five minutes in this meeting and kind of get the shakies out. So yeah, 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 that's that's great. Well, it would force it it would force values to be present. And and exactly. for uh, for for people to at least have a language to tie to w- what the organization is all about, and this is something exactly. we, we've kind of come full circle here a little bit. Um, Juni strikes me as a as a very mission focused organization, and I think I think a lot of companies would call themselves mission focused. A lot of leaders would like to think that they they've got their finger on the pulse of the the mission of the organization, whether whether that's a company or an individual team. And in my experience, some folks are much better at at actually executing that than others. Uh, what kind of things do you do as a leader to remind yourself of your why? You know, why why you're slaving away doing doing what you're doing. <laughs> It's a great question. Um, I, I think it goes back again to, um, you know, I think we do some very tactical things like during these all hands, we try to share wins with our community, um, with our team. And so, you know, we'll talk about numbers, but we'll also share customer love for that week or the, 
you know, a student project of the week that was just incredible. Like some of the things that that kids are able to build, it's like full featured video games. Like we we had a brick breaker, um, you know, a copycat game and and all these kinds of things and incredibly creative work. And I think that that reminds people that even even when it feels like sometimes things are going crazy, uh, you know, what we're doing in impacts every single student. And if you can have that micro impact as well, then it all stacks up to to macro impact. And so I think that keeps everybody very grounded. Um, and so, you know, when we're pushing features out, it's, you know, sometimes you're just like, oh, it's, it's just software, or it's just code. But then when it comes out in these stories, and you see kids recording these videos where they're presenting the work that they did that week, or if you see a quote from an instructor about how much you know, working with us has changed their life. Um, we actually had two instructors who uh, interned with us two summers ago, and now they're roommates. Uh, we introduced them to each other. And so I think those kinds of stories, yeah, they, they just, they keep you going. Um, they, they keep everybody very focused and, and excited. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, there's a lot of education companies that uh, they're mission driven, um, but, but they, they lack focus. And I think for us, uh, the fact that we do well, but we're also trying to be a huge company keeps people grounded as well, um, which is a little bit ironic. But uh, I, I, I think when when we think about Juni and we think about the impact that we want to have, we want to teach so many students around the world, but we also want to be known as a world-class company in terms of software development, our business operations team, our customer support, everything there. And so um, I actually think Amazon is an amazing example of that, right, with their customer focus. Uh, but at the same time, like there's a bottom line for them as well. And they believe that's a virtuous cycle. Like the be- the better you can do for your customers, the better your bottom line is as well. And so we kind of take that same view and um, we're able to keep folks focused that way. Um, it's definitely been challenging this last year, but uh, it's it's grounded a lot of folks. That's uh, that's that's great. That's great. And 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 you you've kind of anticipated my my next question here because <laughs> I look at I look at uh, some of the folks who are backing Juni. Um, some uh, some very familiar names for for anyone who who kind of follows the startup scene. Uh, Jessica Livingston at Y Combinator, Ariel Zuckerberg. You've got folks who are clearly um, rooting for you, right? Like the the there are there are people who believe in in you and what you're doing. You combine that kind of backing with some of the growth you've seen, some incredible growth that you've seen over the last year. It it there there really is the potential for something great here. So, what I want to know is what's next for Juni? Where wh- where will you be this time next year, or, or or ten years from now? What what's what's the what's the master plan here? Yeah, I mean we. Um... We were actually lucky enough to meet uh, Jessica Livingston and and Paul Graham when we were at Y Combinator. And um, I think one of the things that is undersold about them is how they help you crystallize your vision. And so at the time, Ruby and I were like, oh, we we teach kids how to code and like we're just going to try to sign up as many people as possible. And they really pushed us to take a step back and say, like, what's special about Juni and what are you guys trying to do? And at the end of the day, we were like, all we want to do is teach every student anything, right? And it should really be a place where people can come and learn things that they're passionate about, get really 
accelerated if they want to meet other people who have similar interests to them as well. And um, what that really reminded us of was uh, college, actually. You know, if you if you think about kind of, you take it back to my, my time at Stanford, I think the most magical things was when you got to connect the dots on a lot of different things that you were learning. You know, obviously, like, the professors and the courses are amazing, but it was really about late night conversations in your dorm or clubs that you're a part of and um, kind of building a portfolio over time and your resume to a certain extent and getting work experience and all these other things. And so we've always talked about Juni as a university for kids and really kind of building in multiple subjects there that kids can get really excited about, um, you know, that community element as well and that mentorship element. So um, that's the future state for us is to continue rolling out additional subjects, additional formats as well for students to um, meet each other and also meet other instructors. Um, so it's going to be an exciting few years for us, but that's kind of um, how we're scaling. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Really, really exciting times, but both today and, and the days to come. Um, I'm certain that uh, a number of the folks listening to the show are parents or, or, or owners of little people, <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> um, if, if someone's interested in Juni, would like to learn more or, or maybe check it out, I know you've got a, a free trial on your, on your website here. Um, where, where can people go? Where, where's the best place for people to, uh, to go to learn more? Of course, yes. Um, directly on our website, so junilearning.com. And yes, we do offer a free trial. And so the main thing for us is, you know, we believe that kids should love learning. And so take the first couple classes, tell us what we could do better. Hopefully your kids will love it. Um, but they usually do, you know, getting that personal attention, getting to build something with their hands, that's incredibly exciting for them. And obviously now they also get to meet other students online, which really kind of supercharges their learning. So yeah, that's going to be a great place to, to get started. Well, that's fantastic. Vivian, thank you so very much for, uh, for joining me today. This was a, an awful lot of fun. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pat. It was great to chat. Thank you so much, Vivian. That was an awful lot of fun. I learned a lot listening to you speak. I, I just I just love the enthusiasm that you bring to the table. I love the way you're running your team. There are a lot of things that, as I sat down and, and, and re-listened to that interview, that really stood out to me. And the first thing was just this, this mission that she has and how and how core it is to what they're doing. The, the idea that their product is designed to help every student discover and pursue their passions with joy. Like, how, how powerful is that? It, it's clear that that's, that's crystal clear in Vivian's mind, which makes it that much easier for her team to have that clear in their minds, too, about why they're there. I think that's just so cool. The other thing that really stood out to me was the exploratory approach that Vivian has taken to, to both her education and her career. She didn't end up where she thought she might. If you ask the high school version of Vivian Shen, she would absolutely not have ended up where she is today. But that's okay. In, in a lot of ways, she probably ended up somewhere better because she allowed herself to explore. She allowed herself to experience a number of different things and end up where she really should. So I really commend that. And I think that's a brilliant headspace for uh, an entrepreneur to have. So uh, really, really excited about that. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting was her her practice of reading the company's core values at all hands meetings every two weeks. And it reminds me of something I heard recently is that just at the point where you feel like maybe you're over communicating something and you're kind of getting annoying because you keep saying the same thing over and over and over again to the same people, 
it's probably only then that you're starting to break through. It's incredibly difficult to get a message across to people. People are busy, they're stressed, they've got a ton on their plates, they've got a ton coming at them. So unless you are persistent about your your messaging, both persistent and consistent, it's not going to sink in. And I think this simple practice that Vivian adopts to share those core values is is great. And I think that's one of the things that is absolutely necessary in order to to really have it sink in. And, and we joked around a little bit during the interview about, you know, most people are not in an office right now, so they can't see the mission and vision and core values on a wall in an office anymore. That's true. But listen, even if we were in offices still, people don't read the wall plaques. They don't stop to think. It just becomes part of the decor, right? So for a leader to really take the time to emphasize and reemphasize these core things, I think is is really, really smart. And I would encourage anyone who leads a team to adopt something similar. So thank you once again, Vivian. Everything we talked about in the interview uh, in terms of resources or links or anything like that will be in the show notes. So head on over to engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 27 to learn more. Next up, we've got the engineering and leadership mailbag. Well, my friends, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read absolutely everything you send me, and I promise to share my favorite messages right here on the podcast. First message up is from Joshua Bissessar, and I hope I've got your name right there, Joshua. Uh, he, he wrote on LinkedIn to say, love the podcast, very educational. It has inspired me to level up by attaining an MBA myself. That's awesome, Josh. Congratulations. Very excited for you about that. But he went on to say, I would really like to pick your brain in terms of your spiritual side of your practice. And Josh, I really appreciate the question. This is really cool. This is something that came out uh, in my chat with Michael Tranmer in episode 25, this idea of of my my spirituality and my faith being important to my profession. Uh, and, and Michael kind of sees the world in a similar way. And we discussed that a little bit. And one of the things that I think is important for me in terms of my spirituality is that my my faith manifests itself through an attitude of service at work, is the best way for me to describe it. I view my job through a lens of, of having an opportunity to use my skills to help people and help the world be a better place, right? Uh, as an engineer, I do work that not everyone can do. And I think we're, we all have gifts in that sense. And I think that that applies to any profession, right? Where it's hard to do what we do. So one of the things that is important to me is that I view that as an opportunity, right? To do the right thing in the world. And it really helps to contextualize for me the fact that that there's there's a bigger picture, there's more at play, especially on those hard days, especially when things are monotonous, when things are not going right. It's important for me to remind myself that there's a bigger why for all the work that I'm doing. And in a lot of ways, that's where this podcast comes from too, is is this idea that it's important to serve others and it's important to to work hard to make uh, the world a better place, 
right? So uh, again, there, there's probably, there's a whole podcast series I'm sure I could produce on this idea alone, this idea of, of service in professions. So Josh, I really appreciate the question. I, I think it's really fascinating. I'll be sure to reach out to you to, uh, to set something up so we can chat a little more in depth. So thank you very, very much, Josh. The next message is from a gentleman named Leon Abood, who's the founder and CEO of Worldwide Engineering. He wrote to say, I honestly love the mission behind the content you've been producing. I'm a firm believer that when trained, engineers are some of the world's most powerful leaders. Leon, I couldn't agree more. And I'm so glad you reached out. Uh, For those of you listening, Leon has a great podcast himself, some really cool uh, really cool swag, some cool shirts and journals and all sorts of awesome stuff. And probably the largest following on Instagram of any engineer I know. He's got a, a, almost a million followers on Instagram. It's nuts. So uh, do check out Leon's stuff. Uh, again, I'll put a link in the show notes and stay tuned. You can absolutely expect some collaboration between Leon and I in the near future. Hopefully we can get him here on this podcast to talk about his work. Just a quick reminder that if you'd like to be on the show, please do leave me a voicemail at engineeringandleadership.com or leave me a comment to the show notes at engineeringleadership.com slash episode 27. That is all the time we have for the show today. Thank you again to Vivian Shen for your time, your wisdom. Uh, it was an absolute blast and all the best to you and to Junie Learning. I'll be back again next week with our next episode where you'll be hearing from entrepreneur and startup consultant Brett Fox on what it takes to start your own business and why the COVID-19 pandemic might just be the perfect time to launch that big idea that you've had. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. That helps me make the show better and helps others find the show as well. It'd be great to hear about what you found interesting or surprising and to give me that feedback. That's always fantastic. For more information, links, and resources mentioned in the episode today, just go to the show notes, engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 27. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent. You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. If you'd like to learn more, go to engineeringandleadership.com where you'll find more free articles, podcasts, and downloads to help engineers thrive. That's engineeringandleadership.com. Yeah.